Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. For 60 years, St. Jude doctors and researchers have helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. But we need your help getting that number to 100%. And most important, your support means that families will never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food. Now, that peace of mind means so much. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm not like longing for that all the time. It's just something that occupies some uh, thought. So, you know, that and... And hunting for me is it really it. So I can see where a girl would take that place a little bit and make it where you wouldn't mind uh, being off the road so much. Episode 438 with Riley Green. We mentioned this, but for a long time, his name to me was Riley Duckman. Mm-hmm. Not even Riley Duckman, which is how that name started because he's a big duck hunter. But we'd talk about it and be like, oh, Riley Duckman. And we get to that later. And I mean, this is the most Riley and I have ever like talked as like, normal dudes yeah i was gonna say this is a great example of why it's almost better to do interviews in this format because when he comes in here it's so hard to get things out of him so quickly this was great i mean eight nine ten minutes and he's playing songs on the radio show so that's tough this he even addresses uh, this is kind of like therapy yeah i I talk about (laughs) it later but you know riley and i've i've done the radio show uh riley and i bailed me out of it um, a charity event where i was performing Eddie and I were with Jordan Davis, and Jordan got, wasn't able to come real quick, so I called Riley, and Riley went with us to do the show, and so it was super cool of him to do that. We didn't even talk about that because, um, I mean, I felt like we could have gone a long time. We did over an hour, but I like Riley. I just hadn't been able to really connect with him, but I do feel now like I know him a lot better, don't you? Yeah, I do too. Uh, his new album, Ain't My Last Rodeo, is now out. He just kicked off his Ain't My Last Rodeo tour uh, February 22nd, which is, I think, last Thursday. Tracy Lawrence and Ella Langley out on tour with him, and we talk about the Buford Bond Charitable Fund, which he has, which is inspired by his grandfathers. Uh, he just had a number one again. We talk about his uh, Duckman Jam at Florabama. And so, you know, Riley Green, we can't play clips, right? We can't. Okay. Well, his songs are like, uh, there was this girl. And there was that. I can sing them though, right? Yeah, you can sing them. All right. And then, Half of me wants a cold beer. I don't know if that's how it goes, that's but it, that's, that's a number it. one. And then, I wish grandpa's never died. Rest in peace, grandpa. 
don't know if he says that, but that's that song. And then his number one that just happened was Different Round Here with Luke Combs. How's that one go? I just sang three, so I can't get them. I, I have, I'm stuck on the other one, the yeah. grandpa one. I'm stuck on half of me wants a dip. They it? all have beer in them. Oh. All right, well, here we go. This is Riley Green. Follow him at Riley Duckman, at Riley Duckman. Enjoy. Uh, Riley, good to see you, buddy. Yeah, man. Were you a wrestling guy? My mom wouldn't let me watch wrestling. Ever? No, like I had to hear about it from my buddies. The closest I got was, uh, I think, Sega or Nintendo 64 or something had some. Like playing it? Indi- yeah, that was it. <laughs> but if my mom were found about that, I'd probably been in trouble too. I-, I was a wrestling guy but growing up in the South, and it was just on like TBS and TNT. I just watched the movie The Iron Claw. It's, which is out, um, and like Zach Efron just got ripped for it. But so it's, I saw that, yeah. You watched the movie? movie? I just saw Dude, it's his all, it's awesome. for it. Is it good? Yeah, it's really, because it's a true story of like a family in wrestling. And it was a little before like my time, but some of those guys in it, and I just assumed if you were from the South, and but your mom wouldn't let you, why? Well, no, it was certainly was from the South. It was very popular. I had a bunch of buddies that watched it, and I heard about it every day at school. But uh, I watched uh, 30 for 30 on, uh, maybe it was Ric Flair. Yeah. Man, the stuff those guys went through. Yeah. It makes you guys touring. It, re- it really does. Like, I feel like <laughs> such a sissy whenever I look at that, especially like, I mean, you know, I, I had some some years of what I would call, I thought, partying a little bit, but not, nothing like that. Man. And and having to keep themselves going through any means possible, and some of that was partying, but I mean, the partying turned into how do we keep our energy, how do we keep... Even yeah, with the drugs they were doing to keep their bodies in shape. Well, the level of show that they had to put on every night, even versus what we have to do, is like I I wouldn't want that job. That's insane. You ever get sick and then have to call? And I've done this a couple times where you have to call, find a minute clinic, and get them to shoot you up as a steroid just so you can get through the night. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I had a I lost eighteen pounds last week with the flu, and I'm like one of those where I don't get sick often. If I do, wait, I'm, hold on, hold on. I need that flu then. Well, I, I was trying to like. That sounds like a. Ser- I was trying to like put on someone. I've never know? heard of eighteen. Like well, I broke a fever. This is no exaggeration. I've never had this kind of thing. I, I laid in the bed and just sweated for twenty four hours. Like I, I would get up, shower, get back. I like I had to change beds, change blankets. Like I, it was in, insanity. But I was like two oh eight or something. The morning I started feeling sick, I got in the bed. When I got up and weighed again, I was like one eighty nine. Sounds like you beat Ebola more than it was the flu. Maybe. God dang. Well, I'm lucky to be here. I feel like that way. Did anybody else in your crew get the flu? Or, or were you the only one? Yeah, Josh gave it to me. He's here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it always, it's, and you, Josh, you didn't create it. I'm not no, saying, he, no, he did. I'm not saying you sat in a lab, Josh, and created the flu, right? Like, we all get it. I, I will tell you the type of friend Josh is. Josh went to high school with me, elementary school. He's on the road with me now. Uh, comes up, goes on the road with me, gives me the flu. I would have never told me that, you know. <laughs> he was like, "Hey, man, sorry, I got you sick." I was like, "Wait, what?" He's would like, you yeah, have known? I was horribly sick before I left Jacksonville, Alabama to come up. Josh, how long have you been here? Uh, a couple months. Oh, you're—he's new, new. Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh yeah, we don't do flu up, up here. If we have flu, we don't give. We try to keep away from people. It, it's, yeah, you know, I don't know Alabama because Alabama's like I got the flu. I need to go get to my cousin because I'm from know, Arkansas. We used to do that too. What's fun about having somebody that's very removed from this industry come into it is Josh always been around me playing music, but like I get to literally teach him lessons like that. Like I, hey, listen, I got verbatim said. Hey, just just so you know, if you're sick, just don't come. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, oh yeah, because it'll then he knows this. Everybody knows this because then it slowly s- spreads, even if it doesn't get to you. COVID yeah. days, you know, and, 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 you know, like, even if you weren't feeling bad, it wasn't that. I was out with Dirks when we finally started back 
you know, and there was all those protocols and testing to get backstage and everything was if somebody got it, you might have to cancel the whole livelihood. Yeah. A lot of people's livelihood. A lot of responsibility. And I felt that I was doing a show for Nat Geo and we were traveling around the country, but if I got it, the whole crew sh- couldn't work. So that's paychecks. And so, yeah. and if one of the crew guys, like camera guys or audio guys got it, we could just make do. Yeah, you could move somebody around. But if around. it's you mm-hmm. or if it's me, the whole crew got shut down. So there was a different kind of responsibility. Did you miss any shows because of the flu? Uh, I didn't. No, uh, I just, it was a good timing if there is such a thing. It was after a weekend run of shows. I got some fluids. Somebody came over and gave me some fluids. I got over it pretty quickly. But, but yeah, the, that rock doc will, will save your life on the road. Somebody come by and. For a while, I was traveling so much, either shooting or just doing stand-up on the road, that I was like, I got to find a way. Because doctors are a little weird about prescribing things if they're your doctor and your so i have a um like a concierge doctor now and so i can call him anytime yeah and i can get whatever i want like crack weed it's immediately it's it's, uh it's it's funny (laughs) that that it it takes like my i guess my you know rise to to be an in-country music uh, of some level where something like that was available to me was very gradual so i can remember like even in the last couple of years like struggling with calling my like Old yeah. primary care doctor back in Alabama trying to get a prescription sent, and they won't. They can't do it across state lines. I'm running from five different Walgreens to other, and then I realized, wait a second, you can just call this guy, and he'll just show up with some stuff. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. I did. Um, I won't say what, but they had a doctor that was kind of a wink, wink doctor. Meaning, if you were hurt, if you yeah. were, if you were injured, the wink, wink doctor would come and just go, "What do you think you need?" Yeah, and you would get what you thought you needed, and it was just kind of the understanding. Where I have friends that are athletes that don't have wink wink doctors. I made that term up too. It's pretty cool. Wink wink doctor. Yeah, I thought it was a real term. But they have a doctor that their goal is to, if you're not going to hurt it further, which maybe always may not be the right idea either. But yeah, I guess when when it's your livelihood though and it's your job. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, this is different than going and playing a football game or something. Like, yeah, you can strain your voice to a point where I guess you would have to have some kind of surgery or something. But for me, it's it literally is just when you get in that type of shape, you just got to get through it, you know. Do you ever have uh, injuries like like old athletic injuries that creep up on you now that inhibit you at all? Seems like it just started about when I turned thirty five. Yeah, it's uh, I I try to work out on the road, just stay busy. It's hard to eat right on the road, you know. And as you get a little older, you got to figure out ways to stay in some kind of shape. And my things like waking up in a different bed where it be the bus or a hotel or, you know, home in Alabama or home here, sleeping on different type mattresses is like, I'm an old person now. Like, it's, it just kills me. How often are you in Alabama versus in Nashville, percentage-wise? Uh, well, when we get busy touring, you know, like, if I'm off Sunday through Wednesday, let's say not on the road, I'd usually go home. You know, like something like this in town or I had a riot yesterday. What I do is try to schedule all my stuff to where I can kind of knock it all out in a week and then go spend a couple of weeks uh, home a month. Can you write on the road effectively or when you're on the road, is it so much, it's just stimulus everywhere that you can't really sit down and it, focus? It's tough. I've never been really good at it. I have taken some writers out on the road, written some songs that ended up getting cut, but I think I write best when I'm either just have an idea I'm passionate about. Something hits me and I like, then I want to sit down and write it that day. Or if I'm just kind of, if I ever have a chance to get bored, you know, like if I'm at home. We were talking I, about that today. And how? I walk by a guitar and pick it up and want to play it. That's when I'll write. You know, when you're on the road, you're kind of like, 
you don't really want to look at your guitar again until it's time to get on stage, you know. Being bored is a very undervalued thing once you haven't been bored in a while. I haven't been bored in a long time. Yeah. It's yeah, you can tell too. I think Christmas break, I wrote more than I did, you know, the majority of the year last year. I used to feel like if I was bored, that meant that nobody really required my services anymore. And I, I would start to look at it as maybe I'm not in demand or I'm kind of losing my edge. But now I just have run so busy at times when I wasn't even really being effective. But now when I'm bored, I mean, it's like, you know, you ever, like for me, it's in the shower. I get great thoughts. I feel like they're great thoughts in the shower. I'm like, oh, because all inhibitions are done. But when I'm bored, like I get really, it feels like fresh, fresh like ideas. creative. Yeah. yeah. I thought, well, you go get in a tree for a few hours, you know? I just, I'm too cold. Yeah. And I didn't even know that you couldn't have dogs in Tennessee until like last week because we had dogs. Yeah. We had tons of dogs. We'd run dogs like crazy. And the well, guy, so that's a little more exciting too, though. That was fun. Yeah. That, that's my kind. And also, I had to learn how to drive at like 12 because if they're tracking the dogs and he's like, hey, you need to go meet us over. Yeah. Down here. So I, I'm 12. And you had to know your way around too. Yeah, I'm 12. I'm you know, driving down yeah. through the back roads. But I didn't know dogs in Tennessee weren't allowed. Yeah. Yeah. And they've, they've gotten real strict on dog seasons in a, a lot of states, Alabama, including like you had like the last couple of weeks of the season or something like that. But, uh, I, for me, like even not actually being in the woods hunting, but like when I, you know, November hits and ruts on or, you know, duck season, whatever it is, I'll go off somewhere, be by myself for a week. You know, like go up to Kansas. I got a little house up there on some property. And like, I, I remember going to Kansas hunting for, I think, five days and I didn't talk to another human. You went, for by, five days. You went by yourself completely. Uh, yeah. I mean, I always do. Uh, I mean, that, you know, Josh goes home and the band, they go do their thing. And I don't take anybody on the road with me. And that's probably where I get most of my creative work done. Do you know... I'm sure you know him, but do you know him in any close way? Uh, Craig Morgan? Yeah. Craig's great, man. He's awesome. Except now he's like, you got to come to Alaska. And I'm like, I've never been to Alaska anyway. It's like two states I haven't been to. He's like, you got to come to Alaska. And I'm like, ah. And he knows I grew up. I don't anymore because I'm a wimp. But I grew up hunting and fishing my whole life, right? Until like 18. It's all we did. It's the culture. Yeah. And so he was like, no, no, no. You come to Alaska, you're going to love it. It's going to take you back to your roots. I'm like, first of all, I don't want to be cold. Second of all, What's good about it? He goes, there's no electricity and no Wi-Fi. I don't have those roots. I yeah. always had electricity. No, no, yeah. It's like, dude, all that is making it worse. That's my grandparents' roots. Like, I, there's, yeah, no, that's, that's their grandparents' roots. Yeah. There's a middle ground for me. Like, I, I've got a little house, a little farmhouse. There's direct TV, you know, and like I go in there and I'll sit. But I mean, as far as like disconnecting from what is the norm of my life, which is not normal. Sure. You know, and I think that's what, you know, you certainly can agree with is like when you're running and going, gunning and just going wide open, you don't have that time to really sit down and think about it. But when you do get removed from it, whether it be sitting around the house or some kind of break in the holidays, it is such a light switch of a lifestyle change. When can you really appreciate the hard work that you've put in? Uh, you know, as much as I hate to say it, COVID was a, probably the best time I had for that. Just because when I signed a deal in 18, uh, and it was kind of, you know, this, I, mean, I was on major tours, I had number one songs, won an ACM award, you know, things were just really, and it's hard to really comprehend all that when you're in it. And you do get in that, just get through it. You know, like you, when I look, look at shows is not necessarily something I'm looking forward to as much as something I like, man, I want it to go well. You know, and you can do you enjoy it afterward. That's how I find yeah, myself. They, look, when the show's over, and you know, a handful of buddies are there. Whoever showed up are all on the bus, and everybody's man, it was a great. It was good, wasn't it? that? I enjoy. You know, and it's 
it's kind of a, a weird way to be about it because playing music is fun, and I do enjoy that. So I think that when I do have those little breaks, I can kind of sit back and look at, you know, the things that are going on. It's funny you said that about feeling like it, because you're bored, things aren't going well. But that's just such a natural instinct because you are so busy when things are going well. And because if you're like me, the early stages, nobody really wanted me to do anything. I was just begging for anything. Yeah. Like, please put me on this. And so by the time I was allowed to do things and then got to choose to do things, man, if I'm not working, I'm not being valued. I I think I was real fortunate, uh, you know, because I can imagine the stresses of that, especially in a town like this you know, with the competition of it and trying to just grind every day and make relationships and get opportunities that I didn't have to deal with any of that. I was doing construction work and playing shows on the weekends and I had no aspirations of being in country music industry. You know, Is it because you didn't know you could have aspirations? Very much, yeah. I I never would have thought it. And and it's a little bit from, you know, I mean, I I played a lot of shows for several years, uh, you know, cover shows, started writing a little bit, but I just saw so many people that were better than me. You know, the first time I ever played in Nashville, I think I came and played an open mic deal at Tootsie's on Broadway, and it was like 2 in the afternoon, and I played two songs, and there was a line of people. I remember some girl with a fiddle and guy with a banjo, like, still waits with their instruments on. And they were all better. Me, I listened to about five of them and left, and I was like, well, that was stupid. You know, I went back and played at the Mexican restaurant in Jacksonville for 150 bucks. What would you tell, though, somebody that's going through that right now? Because obviously your perspective has completely changed. that You don't have to be better than... It's not a better than type thing. Yeah, I, I mean, my advice is going to be from what I can say, and that's it. I'm never, I'm never the guy that just like going to sing the national anthem and blow you away with my vocal range like Chris Stapleton or somebody. I've never had that. For me, what could set me apart from somebody else is the type of songs I could write, just because of the way I look at my life or how I grew up or whatever that is. So, my advice has always been to just write as many songs as you can. Don't be critical of them because. A lot of the songs I've got that have got me where I am are not giant hit songs in the sense of a record label. You know, like I can think of several songs I've got that have gotten me to this point in my career that if I walked into any label in town and played them, they'd have went, what else you got? You know, and I don't know why it works. You know, it's just something something that's unique to me that I write about. And I think that that's what people can can do to kind of set themselves apart is just write a lot of songs. What was home like for you? You mentioned your mom earlier, but what was home like growing up? Uh, you know, wrestling. Yeah. Uh, that's all I need to hear. We'll see you next week, everybody. She'll be glad I brought that up. You know, she's probably proud of that. She's like, well, I didn't let him watch wrestling. Uh, it was great, man. I I was really fortunate. Didn't realize it until, you know, around college. Uh, mom and dad both alive, both there. Mom and dad both there. Both sets of my grandparents were alive, uh, the majority of my life. My granddad be the first one to pass in 2010. So I had four grandparents, a great grandmother, my granny. Uh, lived until 2020 she was 98 Mm. so all of my family right there and like they all grew up like both sets of my grandparents knew each other when they were kids you know and so it was just I was really fortunate to have everybody within a few miles of where I grew up at and when I wasn't playing ball I was out running around with my grandparents and I just had that relationship that I know a lot of people don't have how big was your school uh I don't know what graduated 120 130 something like that so kind of middle yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not not small. I got to like fifty, right? That was small, but like yeah. five hundred or some of the, you know, those are y- yeah. a thousand. We were there were some bigger schools around us. We were Jacksonville, the city of Jacksonville, where there's Jacksonville State University, the college, and all that. I kind of lived in, but my family's from a community called Pleasant Valley, which is right outside of town, which is like one flashing light, 
There's one store. It's called Green Store. EO Green runs a store out there, and the old men play dominoes in the morning. It's like, you know, kind of like going back in time. It hasn't changed since I was a kid. And how did the transition happen of you being in a small town to you being here and when you started to learn that is actually some, the semi-tangible thing that you could do? Like, when did that start to get planted in your brain? I said it was, it was really, really gradual. I can remember one moment of I was playing it you know, two or three different bar-type restaurants around Northeast Alabama every week. I did that for a few years. But working, too? Working, yeah. yeah. Doing, I did, And I built houses until 2018, literally when I signed my deal. I came to town and started writing uh, because I my goal was I thought I had built enough of a fan base off of writing songs. I thought I could get a publishing deal. started getting some publishing deal offers. Then labels started coming to my shows. I had four record labels off me, uh, record deal, and— I signed a publishing deal with Warren Chapel one week. I signed a record deal with Big Machine the next week and quit working and went on the road doing radio tours. So it did, was like that. Did know? that feel really weird, though? Because Very. As, as awesome as that would be, when your whole life you've grown accustomed and you, your knowledge is only in go to work, work hard, support. And now, but now you're just a creative, which I'm assuming nobody down there was doing no, anything creative. I, I'd never co-written because, I mean, there was nobody— around that I wrote songs with, you know. And, you know, so I did, there was nobody that knew anything about what was going on with me, and I didn't know what was going on. I was fortunate to meet some folks in town that kind of guide me in the right way, and I'll never forget I was riding around with Eric Dillon, who wrote, uh, there was this girl with me, and I was really stressed out about figuring out what record label I was going to sign with, you know, knowing that's a big decision. I said, man, I can't wait till I get this figured out and I sign so I can go back and have a little time off. I've been in Nashville so much. <laughs> and he's like, dude, you have no idea what a record deal is. You're about to go on the road on radio. T-. And I mean, he was right, obviously, but uh, it, it was just little moments like playing at Iron City in Birmingham. And, you know, the guy asked me to come down there and play. And I remember thinking it would be empty. You know, it was held like 1,200, 1,300 people. And we sold 1,260 tickets. And I didn't know anybody knew who I was in Birmingham. That was an hour and a half, hour from where I grew up at. And started going to Georgia and playing Atlanta and playing Athens and, and South Georgia. And it just so I had a fan base for me putting music out that I didn't really know was there. Were you putting it up on like DSPs? So I th- I was telling somebody yesterday, I, I don't remember if it was CD Baby was a like a, a avenue or a, a, a tune core or something. And what I did was I just recorded it and it was all awful recordings you know i mean like the production I, it was i play guitar on a lot of it It was just like an engineer in studio and uh i looked up where i was a big fan of drake white and i was a big fan of jason isabel and i looked up where they recorded at and it was fame studios and Muscle shoals which was about two hours from me so i drove there i talked to the guy at the front desk and he was like yeah and he went and twisted some knobs and i played it and he said how's that and i was like i guess it's good you know i mean it was awful but i just put it out on whatever those platforms were and eventually i started looking in tune there'd be some checks in there and I, then I knew I was going to be rich. Like, I was just looking. I was like $1,200 or something in TuneCore once a month, you know? So it was, a, it was a cool thing, but it wasn't like there was any— a, a song on the radio was the furthest thing from my mind. Was there a local anything that started to play a song first, like on a local weekend show, or or was it you had to come to Nashville and then finally it got put back onto the home stuff? Uh, There was a—I I mean, it wouldn't be a syndicated show, like a 95.5, I think, WHMA. Yeah, it? like even a small station. That yeah, like- there was a guy with a Tex Carter who used to kind of play some stuff for me. But I was doing big shows in a small part of the world. You know, like I had a, a festival that I put on called the Back 40 Bash that I thought we'd get a couple hundred people to show up to, and we had 1,200 at the first one. It was on my property. 
we built a stage and you did it at, it was at your place. Absolute insanity. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, Josh tell you too. Did you have insurance like, on the thing? Oh, I don't. I, yeah, yeah, I, I think I had I, like $50 insurance <laughs> from like my guy that does my car insurance. But I had one buddy of mine that was a county sheriff working security and we let people bring their own coolers and it was moonshine and like everybody there got in a fight. I got in a fight. Everybody fought. <laughs> and, uh, my mom was taking up ticket money on one end, my dad on the other. I'll never forget it was real dry. I went to my dad, and he was just like, when he blinked, dust fell off of his eyelashes. He was so coated in it. But he pulled out all this big water. I was like, dude, we're gonna look at this, and we're going to be rich, you know? I think we made like 20 grand or something, you know, at this festival. So we did it a couple more years, and my Uncle Ty, whose property it was at the time, would say every year, he's like, oh, I hope you all had a good time. We're never doing this again. You know, it was like just a nightmare. And then I'd give him a couple thousand. We'll, we'll try it one more time, you know? <laughs> but because of that, I had relationships with those local stations, and they would kind of Try to help me out, you know. Hang tight. The Bobby Cast will be right back. And we're back on the Bobby Cast. Who gave you your first guitar? My granddaddy Buford. Uh, it was an old Epiphone guitar. Uh, nothing real nice. I, I wrote a song about him that I played at his funeral. And there was a line in that song that somebody asked me about, and I couldn't remember what I was thinking when I wrote it, but it was that he never could himself, but he taught me how to play. And it, it was kind of weird because I don't remember what I was thinking when I wrote that. I was, you know, 16, 17 years old, but he he just enjoyed the guitar. And so we started going and sitting on the porch of my great-grandparents' house, who were no longer living, and he'd get the Yellow Pages and call up so-and-so. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. 
Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, to take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me, in this fight. And just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. They used to play the banjo or the mandolin or whatever. And so next thing you know, it's me and all these old guys out there playing guitar and started a a little deal called the Golden Saw Music Hall in my great-grandparents' house. And we did that every Friday for about 14 years. And I would just sit on the stage with these old guys and, like, watch how they made chords play. So that was kind of how I started playing music. But even with that kind of background, I didn't think it was going anywhere. You know, it was just like my granddad Lyndon liked to fish and golf. That's what we did when I was with him. My granddad Buford liked country music. So when I was around him, that's what we did. The guys that you were playing with, the old guys from around town, were they generous with their time to show you things, or were you just learning through being around it? Oh, very, man. Uh, there's uh, – you know how small towns are like that in this type of communities, man. Everybody kind of is just is just close, and, and they all pulled for me because I was the kid up there. I mean, and I was, you know, 12, 13 years old singing, like, Great Speckled Bird by Roy Acuff. Like, I mean, stuff that was, you know, seemingly 100 years before my time. And – uh they, they were very helpful, and, and, and it, they'd come over there during the week, and we'd sit around and play, and I learned a lot from those guys. And uh, I wasn't very good, but I got a lot of false confidence from the fact that everybody would cheer when I got up there because I was a kid, you know, amongst a bunch of old guys. So it was, uh, it was a cool cool thing. I, another thing that I kind of took for granted, didn't realize how unique it was until kind of after. What do you think motivated you to continue? Because that 13-, 14-, 15-year-old part of life, we're just – kind of all over yeah but why why who did you want to do it for was it for your grandfather because you felt like he brought you in or was it did the guitar just like grab you songwriting just grab you so all through high school nothing really came from it i, I played three sports and guitar was just like i said something i did with my granddaddy on the side people at school did not know you were a musician i don't i mean it wasn't something that you not really no, i didn't like yeah. play at talent shows or anything i mean sure. i was like quarterback of the football team so that wasn't what i was known for doing and I went to Jackson State, walked on, played a little bit of football there. While I was in college, I played lead guitar in a band called Southern Harmony. And uh, we would just play like frat gigs that one of the guys that was the lead singer was in that fraternity. So we just kind of grandfathered into play. We weren't, we're, not, we're not very good. Uh, and from that, I guess I started to sing a little bit and, and then started to play my own acoustic shows. And there was a time in there, probably 22 to 24, 25, where it got really monotonous to me. I was playing the same shows every week, the same places, seeing the same folks. When we were having a good time, you know, making $100 a night, getting a free bar tab, that was when it clicked for me was when I started writing songs. I got tired of playing the same songs all the time, so I started writing some and trying to replace songs in my set that did well with something that I came up with. And and that was a turning point for me was when people would go, and play that one you played last week that you wrote. 
you know, and then eventually I went and recorded some of those songs, and that was, you know, that was where it became more enjoyable to me. The songwriting part of it's always been the thing that was the most fun, and uh, I think the most motivating thing, because to make somebody feel some kind of emotion from something you came up with, I think, is what any songwriter enjoys. The juxtaposition of you being an athlete, a guy from the country, a guy from the South, then you're also singing. You know, I mean, if you weren't big, maybe they punch you in the shoulder a little more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, uh, my mom, I can remember when I was, uh, like, sixth grade, made me be in the choir at Kitty Stone Singers, what it was called. Kitty Stone was my elementary school because she was going to pay for me to play soccer. We didn't have peewee football, so I played baseball, basketball, and soccer. And she said, you can play, but you got to be in Kitty Stone Singers. And that was the most <laughs> painful thing I've ever done. It was just me and a bunch of girls up there, and I'm, like, trying to, you know, uh, and I even went to one voice lesson uh, at Jacksonville State. A guy up there, it was very, my mom was like set it up for me. And it was very like walked in the back door, you know. I mean, I'm playing quarterback at Jacksonville State going to voice lessons, you know. And I, I walked in and the guy's like, all right, give me a, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a fa-la-la-la-la. And I was like, I can't do this. I just left. Like, nah, that was it? Yeah, not going to happen. So, so you learned how to sing just by singing? Yeah, yeah. My older, my oldest sister, Lindy, is a very talented singer. Uh, does she do it? She does. Uh, she went to Lagrange, Georgia, on a music scholarship. Oh, wow. Was in several like plays, very you know artsy, whatever you want to call that. But I, I'd never had any type of. I don't. I'm sure I don't sing right now. You know, like as far as how you're supposed to do it. But I, I just, uh, I guess maybe I got by without getting beat up because of what I was singing about. Mm. You know. I didn't sing a lot of fluffy songs. It was, it was a lot of, uh, you know, Hank Williams type stuff and Merle Haggard. So I, I guess I got a, got away with it because of that. What was your mom like, just in general? Uh, she was tough, man. She she used to just wear me out. I mean, I, I needed it. I was I was a lot more trouble before I was old enough to get in trouble. If that makes sense. I think when I was a teenager, I was a lot more uh, just whatever I could get into. And, she, I, she always used to say when I made it to 22, her job was done. Like, I'm alive. And uh, one thing that was cool about my family with the music thing was nobody ever thought I would be where I'm at or anywhere near where I'm at, but everybody was very supportive of when I was doing it. You know, I mean, that, I don't know that they missed a show when I played in town. Uh, and, and some of them I probably wish they wouldn't have been at because we used to get a little rowdy, you know, playing in the hometown bars, but... Uh, they still come out to all the shows or anything that's close, and you know it, it, that's a it's a pretty crazy thing to have as a a goal or a dream is to make it in country music. So for them to be as supportive as they were was uh well, was very fortunate. You have brothers and sisters. I know you have a sister. Do you have others? I got, I got two sisters. Casey is two years older than me. She's got two little kids, and Lindy's uh, was the singer. She's three years older than me. She, no, she's ten years older than me. She's got three kids. So you're the youngest, yeah, and the, and the only boy. That's right. Was your dad a big guy? Yeah, he's yeah, he's uh, six three. When did you grow? I had like one of those three inch ninth grade summers. I was probably one of the shorter guys in my grade, and then sprouted. And then it took me about a year to get my coordination back. You know, playing ball with big hands and feet, being long and everything. And uh, I could never put any weight on. I was always real thin. But yeah, I, I kind of had a growth spurt around ninth grade. So tenth grade, did you get to play on the senior high team as a tenth grader? Oh yeah. Yeah, did you start? Yeah, at yeah, quarterback. We, yeah, well, no, I started quarterback in eleventh grade. Yeah, what did you play in tenth grade? Like wide receiver? I think I played a little bit of everything: safety, outside linebacker, 
uh, probably backup quarterback. And I think I ended up playing both ways my senior year too. We were, we were, uh, we had a tough time in football. We had a great basketball, great baseball program, but we we got knocked around a little bit in football. How many people? Uh, our football team, and we had to play. A lot of guys played both ways. I didn't play much both ways. I hated hitting. I catch a ball. I did not want to get hit uh, today, so don't hit me, please. But a lot. We had like. 38 players total, right? So you're talking 22. Yeah. And then some special teams. What were y'all's? Y'all, double A. Double A, okay. Yeah. We were 4A. And you played both ways? Yeah, well, so we I had three different head coaches. My 10th, 11th, and 12th career year, we had coach changes. And the last one that came in was like a Paul Bear Bryant-esque, old school, ran the wishbone, triple oh, wow. option. Yeah. Which, if if you're a quarterback, you understand, you get hit every play. Whether you have the ball or not, you fake mm-hmm. to have the ball. So uh, you ran triple option your senior year. Yes, so you were just getting pounded. Oh, it was yeah, and we didn't have the best offensive line. I'm glad Josh is here. He can start. He can be like this in the background. Uh, But it was uh, it was tough for me because when I got to college, I had to almost like relearn how to read a secondary. Because I mean, we threw two or three times a game, and it was a touchdown because everybody was in the box. But it was uh, it was a pretty unique experience having having all that going on and and. uh, I think he I think he was pretty tough on us. He ran everybody. I think we had 22 players senior year. I know that when somebody got hurt, we didn't have enough to scrimmage. No way. Coaches had to stand in on defense. It was wild. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So if you're running the triple option or you're running any sort of veer, any sort of that's not a pro style or even, you know, shotgun uh, spread formation, and you're going to college where that's all they run, pro style. Yeah. Spread. Again, you're having to completely learn. It was tough. So – and you walked on. Did yeah. you have any scholarship offers at all? Uh, no, I actually had more talked more schools at, uh, about baseball. Just because a quarterback, unless you're going to go play at Navy. Yeah, yeah, I was Georgia Tech did it for a little while, but yeah. there's not much calling for an That's option. Right. So you could have been great, but if you're running the option the whole time, what coach is going to be like, hey, man, we, we've been watching your tape. Yeah, I, and I wasn't really built for it. I really? mean, I was more like a tall, skinny, like I would think stand in the pocket and, and pass, but uh, – yeah, I, at the end of the day, I don't think I was going to make it to the Cowboys, so it's not a not a huge letdown. But it was tough to try to relearn that going into college at a uh, the old wishbone. Why did you go play college football? Walk on? I just that was my favorite sport. I mean, and that was Jacksonville State University was my hometown college. You know, just that was kind of a dream come true to even go try it. Even to this day, like relationships I made, guys I played with, probably more than anything, the accountability of being 18 years old and having to get up for a 5.30 workout. You know, people not making you go to class. But like, there's that was irreplaceable for me because I was not anywhere near ready to to join the the uh, job force at that time. You know? How many years did you play ball? Uh, two and a half. And the, what's the most significant playing time you got in college? Uh, well, it was 2008. I was a starter, and we signed the – former national championship quarterback from LSU, Ryan Perlew. Mm. Uh, Highly recruited dude. Yeah. Who trans- yeah trans- I remember uh, being at 7-on-7, seven seven and uh, Coach Luke Pruitt called me in the office, and they said they signed Ryan Perlew, and I said, I'll clean up my locker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Did yeah. you enjoy it? Were you sad when it was over? Was that your identity uh, to, to, your, to yourself? I mean, I, I always did so much stuff. I mean, I guess by the time I got done playing ball, I was playing in bars a little bit. I'd always done construction work. You know, I 
my 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 grandparents were always very supportive of sports, watched every game and everything, but it, it wasn't like that's what made me by any means. You know, I, I felt like I had other places I could go, and I kind of knew that was going to end at some point. So it wasn't a, an awful thing for me to go through, and it was – it really led into me going to work. I think my last semester of college, my dad had had back surgery, and him and his brother framed houses together. I left school and went and helped my uncle – build houses and I was like, man, I'm I'm gonna be rich doing this. I'm gonna make, you know, a couple hundred dollars a night and I'm playing on the weekends and make five, six hundred dollars a week framing houses and I got it made. So I bet you made less money when you got a record deal for a while than I hate to think about it. Especially when the IRS found out who I was. I'm sure then it was really bad. Because mm. you're making money daily. I used to I roofed houses for a while and a lot of that money you just make. It's not Yeah. Not just be quiet. Well you see it. That's the thing. Yes. But, but, but also, like, you're working and you're getting paid. When you're doing radio tour, you're not, you're they're just not spending money. Yeah. They're not, they're not pay, you're not getting paid? Well, I can remember, because I didn't have a booking agent, and I was playing, you know, 100, 120 shows a year up until I signed the deal. You know, I didn't have a manager, nothing. So I was, uh, I, it was just word of mouth. I had a little business card with my phone number on it. I just give to people in bars would call me or owners or whatever, promoters. And so people would call and ask me about playing a private show, and that was a tough thing for me because I hated to be like $10,000. You know, like, that's a bunch of money. I was working during the week for 500 a week. Right. But, you know, like weddings and stuff, like, they had a pretty big budget, so it was always a weird thing for me. Somebody would call, and I'd go, you know, five grand. I, I remember sitting with Red Akins one time writing and going, Man, how much money would you have to have to turn down 15000 to go play acoustic for five minutes? I don't know that I'll ever have that much money. I mean, that's still a bunch of money. And uh, I remember when I got with a manager and, and a booking agent and all that stuff, and then people would call out a private show, and we'd have to turn something down. I'm like, man, I'll, I'll go do it for eight grand. What are you talking about? And then you realize when you got a bus and you got this and you got that, it cost me yeah. whatever to go play a show. I would hate to know what it costs now. We got four buses and two 18-wheelers and lighting boards and camera guys and everything else, so – it's uh, it, we're very blessed, and and it's a, it's an awesome way to make a living, but it's a very expensive way to make a living. The Bobby Cast. We'll be right back. This is the Bobby Cast. I want to talk about work ethic for a second, and I'm going to mention Sam hunt for a second we went to western kentucky to do a sports thing and we were hanging out with the head coach at western kentucky who is sam's quarterback coach okay and UAB. yeah and so he was like yeah i used to coach sam at uab and you know he's now the head coach there now and he's like how's sam doing and i was like what was sam this was not even on a microphone i was like what was sam like and he was like kind of like he probably is now like quiet dedicated was gonna show up on time and and get the job done if i were to ask your coach from back then Today, if I, if I were to see him, like what what kind of work ethic did Riley have? I, I don't know. I, I think that I was always very mind. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort. Little to no break-in period. Like, it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacovas store. 
Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. So the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. That I wasn't the best. So I think maybe because of that, I tried to outwork people in some ways. I think that that definitely carried over into my music career is, is being very mindful that there were things that I wasn't as good as other people at. Uh, but I, I, I was always, uh, I was always very, uh, I had a lot in my head about what other people thought, being like my dad or my, my grandparents or whoever it was coming to my games. And Growing up in a small town, I always say you're very much held accountable for how you do anything, how you treat people, how you drive down the street. You know, if you cut off somebody's grandmother, you're going to see their aunt in Winn-Dixie, and they're going to, you know, so like that to me, the small town made me want to be a hard worker in in sports and in writing music and, you know, building houses for a living. That's how you get work is your reputation. You know, I think that that's where I got a lot of that. Do you get any sort of flack for, how old are you now? 35, 36? Yeah. Um, I got married a couple years ago, but I was 39 when I got married. And everybody back home was like, you're broken or gay because you're not married. Because everybody yeah. where I was from was, you got married at 19, 20. I mean, not you. Oh, like, yeah. No, I'm everybody, my, my parents. And yeah. They were convinced something that I was off, like, like it, 
intellectually or that I just, they were like, it's okay if you're gay. I'm like, I'm not gay. <laughs> and if I was, I would tell you. And, but I've been called a lot of things, but, but it's like uh, I was 39 and you're 35. Yeah. I, I think that now it's probably at least everybody that knows me personally has seen what my lifestyle's like in the sense of how much I'm gone. I mean, I don't have regular relationships with my friends. But what about at home? Are they like, Riley, why are you not, why are you not married? Because at home, they don't see probably what your travel life, my mom didn't see what my travel life was like. Yeah, my mom, my mom has my calendar. She, oh, she does. So she, yeah, she's, <laughs> my mom is, has been really great about that. It's like, maybe early on, I'm sure she had a little bit of that and was worried about me, you know, finding somebody or whatever. But now I think she just knows that, this is such a timely point in my career. I've obviously been very blessed and have accomplished things I never thought I would, but there's also a lot of opportunity that comes with that. And I just kind of had in my head when I was going to sign a record deal to just put my nose down and, and grind it out and do everything they asked me to do, anything I could for a couple of years, which that stretched into five now. But uh, I, I think they get that, and I, I don't see a lot of pressure. I think that my lifestyle is going to have to change to where I go from playing you know, 120 shows a year to 60. But and what's, what's going to make that happen, though? Like, uh, well, like what's what's a fact? That's a great question because I because it's you know as you well know it's up to me. Yep. I mean, I could turn down anything I want to. Uh, I don't know. I, I hope it's just a, something clicks and we get to a place where I can say this is the budget for the year. This is how many shows we can go do, and I'm happy with making this much. And this is the career I'm going to have from this. Uh, and maybe that's from, you know, a lot of opportunities not being available that are right now. I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, probably one of the more scary things about it is knowing that with this type of travel schedule and lifestyle, I don't really have much chance of beating somebody and how much things are going to have to slow down for me to get to that place. You know, it's also a momentum based industry. Very much. It's such a battle to stay relevant. Right. Probably now more than ever because of all the avenues of new music and, and a new artist discovery or whatever that is. So it feels like if you let up by letting something else in, regardless of what it is, yeah. if it's you want to go away for three months to hunt or if you want to have a serious relationship, like you're like, well, if I dedicate, my, this is the struggle that I went through. If I dedicate my time to this, then all, this is going to suffer. And so I, I was never going to get married. Just, I was just like, you know what? I'm never going to have time for it because I also, I feel like I, am, I have a huge imposter syndrome. And like, if I don't keep going, I'm never going to get back to this level. And then I met my wife and it was like, she kind of bossed me out of it. And for the first time ever, I let her because I was happy that I met a person that as much as I was annoyed by it, I was more annoyed by the fact that maybe she wouldn't be there. And it yeah. was the only time. And I dated, but I mean, it was, you know, I had my move to Nashville. Holy crap. I never got girls, and I got all the girls at once. That, that, that it, was, it, was, it was wild. And then it was, well, this is weird. And then I was like, I'm never getting married. Who cares? And then I met my wife, and I was like, man, I really don't want to slow down. But worse than that, I don't want to, like, lose her. That's whomever, I don't even know your, your you've never been married, right? Never been married. No. Anything. You're not going to ever go, I only want to make this much money this year. Yeah. I, I just, uh. You know, it, it's a really funny thing to say probably to my buddies back home from the outside looking in because they're like, oh, man, Riley meets me. But where do you really meet a girl at? You know what I mean? I'm and not, where do you get to invest time in a human? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, social media is probably, whereas some people would use that to meet people, it's the opposite for me. Because how do you really use that, you know, with a, uh, what I do for a living? So it's it's an interesting thing. I, 
Like I said, I, I've... Uh, I mean, I used it, but it wasn't for good, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, no, I no, used no. it, but it wasn't... Not for meeting somebody to marry. I'll right. It wasn't, now. like, long-term investment. <laughs> the girls really. I've met on Instagram uh, probably watch wrestling. And <laughs> Their mom probably let them watch wrestling, so it would never work. Or they were wrestlers. Uh, but, no, I, I, I've uh, I've had a couple of years where we've said, man, let's take off November and, and, and let me, you know, go hunt, just kind of disconnect and write whatever, and we've never taken one off. So, I, it'll 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 be that. I think that I've... I've guaranteed myself a career that's more than I've ever thought I would have. Uh, but at the same time, there's just so much opportunity. And I think the only thing that makes me nervous about my career is not making the absolute most of it, you know, so, not getting every opportunity that I can. And, and But you're never going to get every opportunity. Uh, you can't. Yeah. You're never going to be able to get every, to every opportunity. I had to, I don't know if you've, if you go to therapy at all, but. God dang. I thought that's what this was. I know. It's, it's probably what this is. Pool house like. therapy, man. I thought I, that's what I, we were doing. I go to like, I have, my, we go to a couples counselor and I go to my own. And he was like, because I, I would say that, and I'm a little older than you, so I would be like, if I don't take advantage of everything, and he's like, you'll never be able to take advantage of everything. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You're, you're running on a hamster wheel that you can never get to go fast enough to actually matter. I, yeah, I think that it's a little bit of a overthinking type thing. I will say I'm mindful that I, there's nothing that I, I feel like I'm going to miss, if that makes sense. Like, if if my career panned out right now and it is what it is, I can go play shows for the next 15 years, I would still be very excited about that. So it's not like I'm going to be leaving something on the table. I just know there's opportunity right now, and it's almost like, I'm sure you were the same way, when I'm sitting around, I'm thinking, man, what could I be doing? You, you, know, feel, and, you ever feel guilty and, and for doing nothing? That's pretty tough to explain to a girl, let's say you've gone on a couple of dates with and, she wants to know why you have a day off and you want to go right or you want to go do this or that, you know. And for me, it was hunting. That was a really hard thing to explain. Like, why would you want to go sit in the woods by yourself after being on the road for 80 days this year? And I haven't found the answer to that. You'll get kicked in the nuts by a girl, and she won't care that much about you. And it'll, it'll like, maybe two kicks in the nuts, and then it'll so be over. So my grandmother, little Jean, tells me all the time. I she never says, I'll meet it. a girl that, that will care less than me. I haven't yet. And I never but, believed it. I was like, this is old, old wives' tale. If you stop trying, yeah. then you'll find it. And I was like, that's whatever. I'm just never going to get married. I'm going to work. I'm going to be king dingling at work. Yeah. And it, it happened. And I still am like, really? So that's what, that's what it'll be. And I'm going to laugh, too. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, to, to your point, I think maybe if you met somebody in your early 20s or, or me, I wouldn't be where I am. So absolutely, they, I, do, I will I'd say not, that if I'd have knocked up some chick at twenty three years old, yeah. some random and trust me, nobody on FX me anyway, so it didn't happen like twice. But <laughs> and I don't mean almost knocking someone up. I mean anybody having sex with me. But yeah. it, it all been different. Everything would have all been different. Yeah. So I'm glad I was a complete loser. You don't have to agree with that because you weren't. That's okay. You're cool. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort. Little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. 
regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means the families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this. Take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. You're big, you're athlete. You play guitar with grandpa, grandpa. That's cool. Well, I don't have any kids. I don't either. So that's what I'm saying. But I'm going through. We can the, agree there. I'm going through the kids thing now that you're going through with the relationship part, where it's like I don't. With kids, I'm like, if I have a kid, I can't. Do, I can't. I gotta get off the road. I can't go shoot my sports show. I can't yeah. go. But it's the same cycle over and over again. Yeah, a kids thing, which is is probably a backwards way to think about it, because you should probably look at the girl the same way as the kid. But I would. I wouldn't want to have a kid right now. I mean, not that I don't want children. It's just that I know how gone I'm going to have to, how absent I would have to be. And I, you know, I mean, I would want a kid to be able to have a somewhat normal. Never going to happen like, you know, with you. Yeah. But what's normal? There's no normal. You're normal. You're normal. What you just talked about. Like, I know people that grew up in like big cities. They would think that like, it's like a zoo. Like they would look at you as like somebody in a zoo because they've never seen that kind of life before. Yeah. So there is no normal. Yeah. Well, but, th- th- this is a lot faster paced and something about how I grew up that was a lot slower in that town. I think there's values there that, that I, I think uh, a kid's going to get, you know, and I, that was from spending a lot of time with my grandparents. It was from the accountability, like I said, of being in a small town. And, uh, I don't know. I, th- there's a lot of artists that, that, uh, I think have managed to, to have a great career and still have that home lifestyle, you know, and, uh, spend a lot of time at home in Jacksonville being three hours from Nashville. You know, I think it's doable. It's just going to take, you know, I keep saying a couple of years. 
I said that too. Wait another year. Wait another two years. It was never a year thing. Or it was like, wait till this I have this much This is the opposite of counseling. This made me feel like more nervous about no. it. <laughs> it's like I lived, I lived anxiously forever. I was like, wait till I get this much money in the bank. And it just mostly had to be the, the person. Yeah. It didn't matter. It didn't matter, you know, this much money, this much. But it was the person. And then I fought it. And I was like, nope, can't do it. But then I was just more upset not being with her than I was if I would have not been able to work as much. And it's, and it's hard. It sucks sometimes because I want to work all the time. I still have that desire not to work for fun, to work to like prove to others that I'm worthy to be here. Well, I can, I can comprehend that too because I don't have another hobby that would compete with work right now for me. Like I like to be on the farm and, and you know, ride around the tractor and, and, you know, clean up some of the property. That's kind of my like project when I'm there. But I don't, I'm not like longing for that all the time. It's just something that occupies some of uh, my thoughts. So, you know, that and, and, and hunting for me is, is really it. So I can see where a girl would take that take that place a little bit and make it where you could you wouldn't mind uh being off the road so much. It'll be there. I'll laugh to him. I'm I'm gonna get a good laugh at that when you find her. And you're like, God dang it. You're probably like ordained or something, aren't you? I can just let you I, I was at one do point. The, I don't know if my license is still good, but I got ordained years ago. It's internet. It's ordained. probably it's probably like mail in Alabama. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh did you almost not record grandpa's never die? Well, like, what's the story? One of my friends said that he had heard you maybe tell a story somewhere where you almost didn't record it. Well, uh, <clears throat> I, what it was was we had a, our, my second single was a song called In Love By Now. We went and filmed a music video for it in Belize. You know, had this big rollout. It went to radio. And, uh, you know, it was maybe in the 40s. And I wrote I Wish Grandpa's Never Died, obviously after my granddad Lyndon passed away. And I, I think I got a little drunk. I was down in Georgia, maybe making or somewhere, playing a show, and I played it. And that video was the one that some, you know, somebody on their phone videoed it and got a couple million views in like a week. And it was, mm. it was just a reaction, like to to every line in that song. For the first time, people hear it, you know, and you know that's a that's a unique thing. So I went and played. West Virginia State Fair, about two weeks later, I'd never played in West Virginia. And there's a video of this on my Instagram, but they, they screamed every word. And it was off of a video where they learned it. It wasn't recorded or anything. So I called the label and said, I mean, we got to cut this. I don't, I don't know if it's a radio single or what, but it's, and of course, you know, it became, took the place of that single and became probably my biggest song. So I, I don't know that I ever, I, I certainly did, wasn't thinking about recording it when I wrote it. But it, it raised his hand from the first time I played it. You know, kind of, you can't really argue with that. Well, that's going to be wild that you don't record a song, but you're playing it and people know it. That they're it's watching insane. some recorded video with, with not the greatest audio of you just open air. It was awful. People air. screaming in yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, and to be honest with you, I, I watched that video so many times to try to figure out what about it. Because, I mean, I knew the song made me feel some type of emotion. I can comprehend how it could make somebody else feel something, but... I couldn't figure out why somebody would watch that video over and over again. You know, like for me, if I'm scrolling through Instagram and something comes out, I'll turn it off. Like I can't, you know, it just was horrible quality. And But at the same time, a lot of the songs I recorded early on were not very good production. And I think that the, you know, the story or the lyric or whatever that emotion people are getting from it is, is they kind of overlook a lot of stuff. And that was, uh, that was the first time I'd ever seen that with a song. It was, it was, it was pretty cool to watch. What's a Duckman jam? Like what's, what's the difference in that and the one you used to have at your house? Uh, your well, Duckman Jam will be a lot more organized. <laughs> I'm very certain. Uh, Duckman, well, obviously my Instagram name was Riley Duckman. I think from Duck Hunt, that kind of became a little bit of my uh, nickname or whatever you want to call it. And 
Uh, grew up going to the floor of Bama, watching a lot of artists down there. Uh, I'm sure you've been down there at some point. Yeah. Uh, learned a lot about kind of trying to win over a touristy crowd, you know, from from watching people play down there and playing that shows. That doesn't want to really be won over. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and I think those were the most helpful and beneficial shows for me in my career was those acoustic shows. We played for four hours. You take four 15-minute breaks, and you get one drink per break. And it, I think we made $100. And, and I would I played every day for three weeks, one year during just every college's spring break from 12 to 4 on the beach under a little tent. And uh, just gotten to be really good buddies with the owner down there and some of the guys that run that place. And we've done the wharf, uh, but I just really wanted to go do something on the beach in front of the Florabama. The last show we played before COVID shut us down was on the beach. So we're going to go do two nights. Uh, it's April 12th and 13th, I think. It is. Uh, Tracy Lawrence, Ella Langley, Jake Worthington, Drake White, uh, and do, you know, 10,000 people on the beach, two nights in a row. It's be a good time. That's going to be awesome. Let's take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor. Welcome back to the Bobby cast. Uh, you and Luke, you know, Luke hopped on a different round here, but that song was recorded by you. I know we've talked about this a bit on the show, on the radio show, but so you have that song, you record the song and then you go back and ask Luke to come on it. Right. Is that is that how it happened? Like, hey, I'm yeah. going to put this out. Will you, will you hop on it? It's probably supposed to be done through the proper channels and management and everything yeah, else. Yeah. But yeah, I just texted Luke. I, we were really talking about what the next single is going to be, and that song has always raised his hand to me. It's it's a hit song at my shows. It always has been. And uh, I just kind of mentioned the label. Like, maybe we go back to this one. You know, obviously, Grandpa's shook up what was my next single and, and this and that. So I just texted Luke said, you have any interest in being on this song? Obviously, I, I'm buddies with Luke, have been for a while. Uh, but I also kind of knew that me being on a stadium tour with him would probably be a great end for that to be something they would be motivated to do, you know, knowing that we're all trying to sell tickets yeah. to the same tour. And uh, my success was somewhat his success at that time. And I mean, you know, I, I hope he enjoyed the song. I, I don't think he would have done it otherwise. It was definitely a uh, very beneficial for me to have him on it and gave that song a second life and came up my third number one so they just send you the track when he was done with it the, the, so the first yeah, time I did, I, so i've done several features you know i did half me with thomas red that we sang together that day uh i did a song with justin moore we sang on the same microphone which you know was like i, I think we was standing on a chair maybe you know <laughs> uh but i've done some where we just sent you know in the song with jelly roll you know he's so busy right now it's for us to get together was tough but yeah i, I just sent it to luke and he sent it back with... Yeah, my question is, the first time you heard it, was it awesome? Oh, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially from a songwriter standpoint, probably like every songwriter in town, I've never had an outside cut. You know, I've, I've written all my own songs, but to hear somebody like that, especially somebody you're a fan of and somebody with that kind of vocals sing a song that you wrote, uh, you know, and, and better than me by far, you know? So it was it was really cool to hear that and uh, definitely was was exactly what that song needed i want to ask you one more thing about the buford bond fund mm -hmm. what what like what does that do i know it's military it's your grandpa too right <clears throat> like why was this important to you to create that well uh i've done a lot of i've been fortunate in my career i've been able to do a lot of things with saint jude and 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 you know the military's obviously been a a huge part of my life with my both my granddaddy serving but also just i, I you know 
how I write songs, what I write about, and and what I feel like is important to spend my time doing. And uh, what was great about doing having my own foundation is I can kind of steer it in any direction I want to throughout the year. So if something comes up, you know, with some stuff with Habitat for Humanity, which is great for me because. Uh, you know, being a home builder, it was awesome to go outside of Nashville and my dad and aunt and uncle, mom come up, they all got hard hats on and tool belts and we're out there working. And it's just been cool to me to be able to see some of the ways that you can use, you know, what's a pretty awesome way to be able to make a living to help yeah. uh, other organizations. So I like the freedom that the Buford Bonds Foundation allows me to be able to kind of uh, go in any direction that's kind of on my heart at that time. You have the next single, is it ready? Damn Good Day to Leave. Yep. Is, uh, it, is that out? I mean, do people know that? I, they know it now. Yeah. <laughs> Man, what's cool about it is uh, I've, uh, yeah, now they know. Uh, Eric Dillon, who wrote There Was This Girl With Me, right. and that was his first number one, he's also on this song with me and a kid that I signed to a pups and deal named Nick Walsh, who I'm a huge fan of. I got to tell them <laughs> uh, that they were getting a, a single to the radio, and it'd be Nick's first and, and Eric's awesome. second. So that was cool, man. That's a different side of this business that I wasn't really aware of. You guys can follow Riley at Riley Duckman or Duckman. Duckman, Mr. Yeah. Duckman. Riley Duckman, which I thought for a while that was your name, Riley Duckman. I, I still, I don't know who I told the story to, but they call me Duckman every time I see him. Was uh, I pulled up at the Opry one time and the valet guy came out, got opened the door and said, oh, are you, are you Mr. Duckman? <laughs> <laughs> and I, well, I guess I was. Uh, you are, yeah. You, you worked me him? for a bit too, yeah. yeah. Uh, good to see you, man. Appreciate the yeah, time. Appreciate yeah, congratulations it. on all the success. And... You know, you'll be hearing from me. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk. Uh, I'll have a lot of... No, you'll be hearing from me when you get kicked in the nuts. I'll be okay. like, I told you that's what I was going to take. I'll call you. Yeah, you'll be hearing from me. All right, there he is, Riley Duckman. Riley, Mr. Duckman, thank you. Thanks for listening to a BobbyCast production. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacova's.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it, you probably know it. Tacova's.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.